Welcome to this Do Loss Deliberation, and today we're going to talk about death as a warning. So as recently as Thursday, um, the Champlain condominiums suddenly collapsed at around 1.23 a.m. in the morning. And the cause of the collapse is unknown. They have no idea what uh, caused it to just sink in on itself. There's speculation that there is some cracks in the foundation due to water leakage. Um, there's speculation that there is a 2018 engineering report that said that the condominium was in danger of, of collapse or was in serious need of repair at the very least. And the condominium association had taken out a $12 million line of credit to start making repairs on the condominium. But the, uh, and there's other stories out there um, that talk about whether or not the newer building that they were building close to this condominium had caused some uh, cracking within the foundation of the condominium. So there's a bunch of different variables out there regarding what caused the building to collapse in on itself. And, what, and when you watch the video, the video is pretty reminiscent of the World Trade Centers, when you watched that take place back in 2001, you just saw the buildings collapse in on themselves. That's exactly what took place at this condominium. And it's a tragic situation because as of today, which would be Tuesday morning, they're still missing 150 people. As far as we know today, there's been 11 people that have died. So there's a lot of family members, obviously, after three days, being trapped underground, there's really little to no hope left for those friends and families who are still not have not accounted for uh, those who have who, who who may have fallen who have, who may have fallen uh, below the wreckage of the building. So on Thursday, they were able to at least pull 37 people from the building and and, and save them. But it's a really tragic incident. It, it, it really just comes shockingly to many people who didn't expect something like this to ever happen. I mean, one of the I think the mayor of Surfside, which is the name of the city that the condominiums were in, he said he's lived there his whole life and he's never seen anything like that happen before. And now the county mayor has uh, issued a 30 day order out of of all the buildings to make sure that all the buildings are in compliance and that they won't suffer the same fate that this condominium did. But I want to look at this from a biblical perspective, from, from God's perspective, to look at it from, uh, which I think is the true perspective and how God would see something like this. Now, ultimately we don't know, um, why God chose to bring this building down on these people. We have no idea why he did it. I think the Bible gives uh, clear indications of why he may have done it. But as far as each in each particular circumstance, we don't really know why each individual died or may have died uh, in this building. However, we do know that God ordains the end from the beginning. So I want to read a few passages that will kind of give us a biblical view of, of how to view situations like this that happen that are just terrible for those 
were involved and really heartbreaking to see the photos of of weeping family members and friends who are just looking for answers. One of the articles kept saying, you know, they just they just need answers. They they want answers as to what took place, why this happened. And I want to give a, a biblical answer to the why question. Starting with that God ordains the end from the beginning, Isaiah 46.10, it says, declaring the end from the beginning, or let me start in verse 9, it says, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from, the, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. So God is saying there that there is no other God besides him. There is no power besides him. And just to comment on that with another verse in Deuteronomy 32, 39, God again is making himself known to us. And this is what he says of himself. He says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God with me. Again, he says, there's no other God but him. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hands. So once God has set his purpose in motion to either kill or to make alive, nobody can can thwart that plan. What he says he will do, he will do it and nobody can stay his hand. There's nobody that can deliver out of his hand. So God is saying that he ordains the end from the beginning. So whatever takes place, even in the lives of individual people, the end of your life has been determined before your life even began. The end of my life has been determined before my life even began. For all I know, this could be my last podcast that I ever do, and I and I die. And this could be the last podcast you ever hear, and you die. So we don't know when our last days will be, but God has ordained it, and his counsel shall stand, and he says he will do all his pleasure. What we also know from Scripture, why people die, generally speaking, is that the wages of sin is death. That's Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23 talks, uh, talks about how uh, our sins have earned for us death. The only thing we really ultimately earn in life is death because we've violated God's laws. We have disobeyed him. And, and God says in Ezekiel 18, verse 4, the soul that sins, it shall die. So if you are a sinner, just know that you will die. So if you've ever broken God's law, if you've ever lied, if you've, if you've ever stolen, if you've ever fornicated or lusted after a woman or a man in your heart, Jesus says that's adultery of the heart. If you've ever taken God's name in vain, if you've ever worshipped another God or made a graven image of another God, you've broken God's laws. If you've ever gossiped, if you've ever, uh, if you've ever cursed if you've ever dishonored your father or mother, you are under the curse of God and you deserve death. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. And continuing on, death is inherent in all of us from conception because of the curse of sin. And Romans 5.12 makes that pretty clear. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that was Adam, when he disobeyed God, sin came into the world, and they, their eyes were essentially open to their sin, and they became knowledgeable of good and evil. And then Paul continues in, in Romans 5.12, and he says, And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Paul is saying that 
Adam brought sin into the world when he disobeyed God. And when sin came into the world, death came into the world because sin and death are linked. You could say that death is the is the seal of uh, of of proof showing that you are sin or that this person has sinned. Which is interesting when he when, when he gets to Christ, but we'll we'll talk about it a little bit later. So sin is the catalyst for death. I mean, that's why people die. That's why babies die in the womb, because they, even though they don't know good from evil, obviously, they they are still they still have inherited a sin nature and are still sinners by nature. Because whenever a child is brought into the world, he takes on the attributes of his mo- mother and father, including their sin nature, because they take their they took their sin nature from their mother and father all the way back to Adam, a- Adam and Eve. And of course, Noah and his sons, because Noah, obviously, though he was a righteous man, he was still a sinner himself. So, but we don't want to get caught up in that. Oh, let's because these people died in this horrible collapse because they were doing X, Y and Z or they were they were uh, worse sinners than those that survived. So the survivors were just more. They were better people than those that died. That's not the case. At all, I mean, you see that in Luke thirteen five, which I think is the ultimate uh, um, explanation for why certain things like this happen. And it says in verse one, there were present at that season some that told him, and him uh, being Jesus of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So Pilate, for whatever reason, had gotten angry at these Galileans and and had killed them apparently while they were sacrificing in the temple. And verse two, it says, and Jesus answering said unto them, suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. So Jesus is saying uh, it's challenging a Jewish notion that um, because these people died, they must have been worse sinners or God must have just been more angry with them than with those who survived. And you see that kind of thinking over in John 9, verse 2, when uh, Jesus passes by a man, a man that was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him in verse 2, it says, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So the disciples in their mind were saying, well, somebody must have sinned, a grievous sin, that their son was born blind. And he has been blind for, I think in this story, is around 30 plus years. And so the disciples and the Jewish thinking at that time was just that if you have sinned and, and did something grievous, then somebody suffered for it. And, and when somebody had a had a, a terrible ailment or infirmity, it must have been because somebody sinned. But Jesus, when he answers this question, he says, Jesus answered, neither have this man sinned nor his parents. Now, that does not mean that that man had never sinned. Nor does it mean that his parents never sinned. Obviously, that's that's that would be antithetical to what we just read in Romans. But because we all we've all sinned and we all die because of our sin. However, Jesus is saying in this particular circumstance, his blindness is not attributable to the sin of, of himself or the sin of his parents. But he says that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So the reason that this particular man was born blind from birth is because God wanted to work a miracle in his life to show us. And, you know, everybody in the world who's read this story throughout human history, this man was literally born blind. So he suffered lack of sight 
for the sake of Jesus working a miracle in him as one of the proofs that Jesus is God and has power to, to heal men. So his whole his, the purpose for this man's blindness was to be used as a proof of the deity and power of Christ. So to reiterate, suffering doesn't necessarily mean that God is punishing you, though we all deserve eternal hell. Because, again, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. We all deserve eternal punishment from God. And some may say, well, how can you have eternal punishment just for a sin, a sin that's done you know, temporarily, that temporarily hurts somebody? Well, ultimately, all our sin is against God. As David said in the Psalms, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So even though, and he was referring to the sin of Bathsheba, of uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba, he was saying, ultimately, even though I sinned against Uriah by having him killed, even though I sinned against Bathsheba by, by taking her as my own wife, even though I sinned against my my other wife, or actually wives, for and when I already had multiple wives, I took another woman and, and sinned against them. David is saying, and rightfully so, that ultimately his sin is against God, and and that's how we ought to view sin. Ultimately, every sin that we commit is against God, and because God is eternally holy and eternally righteous and eternally just, He must eternally punish those who sin against Him, and that's the standard that He's revealed to us in His Word. So hell is perfectly just because God is perfectly holy and perfectly just and and and, and infinite and, and, and eternal. So an eternal uh, punishment must be dealt for the sinner who has sinned against him. So suffering doesn't necessarily mean that God is punishing you, though we all deserve hell. How, because we see in Job's trials, you know, when you read in the beginning of the book of Job, in verse um, 1, it says, Job 1, one it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. So he was a man who was perfect, upright, he hated God, or he, I'm sorry, he, he feared God, and he hated evil. Eschew is this old English word for evil. And um, Satan comes before God. And God himself says unto in verse eight, it says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job that there is none like him in the earth? Now that's high praise for a mortal man. Jesus or God is saying that there is none like this man in the earth at that time. He says, A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. So right there we we are we see perfectly and plainly that God has high approval of Job, even though he's about to allow Satan to 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 attack him both physically and, and financially with horrible tragedy in his life. So suffering does not mean God is punishing you. Suffering could just be something done for the sake of God glorifying himself. And that may sound rather crude and, and crass to us create uh, creatures who think that we deserve anything but hell. But again, we deserve nothing but hell. So everything else is a grace given by God. Everything else is something that is a gift from God. So when God takes away something that he's given us, some joy, you know, take when he takes away joy and pleasure and, and delight, um, he's not doing anything wrong against us. He's just 
reminding us that we are mortal, that he's in charge and that he can do with his creation as he wills. Even Job, when he had lost everything, he lost his children. They all died. He lost all his his possessions. Everything that he owned, he lost within a matter of hours. And what does Job do? It says that he sits on the ground. He covers himself um, with ashes. Uh, in verse 20 through 22, he says, Then Job arose and rent his mantle. So he ripped his clothes. He shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Now, how many of us could fall down upon the ground and worship after having lost our entire family and, uh, and, our, and all of our possessions rather violently? And really, and rather immediately. Verse, and it's, so it says he worshiped. And then verse 21, and, and it, this is what Job says. He says, naked came I, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then verse 22, it says that in all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly and we would think if anybody had the right to charge god with anything it would be job he was perfect he was upright he feared god he hated evil he even made sacrifices for his children just in case they may have blasphemed god in their heart as it says earlier in the chapter so this was a man who was consciously aware of the holiness of god wanting to do what's right and god himself said there's none like this man in all the earth however god allowed all this calamity to happen, all the suffering to happen to Job. But Job, being the perfect and bright man he was, did not charge God foolishly. He says, hey, I came out of my mother's womb naked, and that's how I'm going to return to the ground naked with, with nothing. So the Lord has given, he's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have nothing to charge God foolishly with because God's not done anything wrong to me. Though I've suffered immense loss again god takes away god has the right to do so and i have no right to get angry at him and i think the ultimate example of suffering not necessarily meaning that god is punishing you is obviously in the death of christ and we see a a clear picture of that even in the old testament in, in isaiah 53 In verses, I'll start at verse uh, verse 7. It says, he was oppressed. Speaking of the suffering servant, which is Christ. This is a prophecy. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? Speaking about his eternality. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. And verse 10 is the key verse I want to focus on. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So verse 10 is telling us that it pleased the Lord to bruise his own son, to put him to grief, to cause him to suffer for the sins of his sheep. 
this was a this was not something that um that was an accident or was a plan B for God. This was ordained of him. Again, like going back to Isaiah forty six ten, he has ordained the end from the beginning. So this is what was the plan from the beginning. The fall was not some uh uh some shock to God. And God didn't implement some plan B because Adam failed. The whole end of creation, the whole end of the world was ordained before the beginning even took place. So we are just we are just working out. God is working out his plan on his time. And we are just a part of his plan and being worked out in the earth. So it pleased the Lord to bruise Christ, to put him to grief. It pleased the Lord to do so. So we have no. Um, if it pleased the Lord to bruise his own son, who was perfect, who was holy, who was harmless, who was undefiled and separate from sinners, never committed anything wrong, never said anything wrong, never committed violence, never lied. He never lusted after a woman. He never blasphemed God's name. He never did anything wrong in his life though but it would please the lord to cause him to suffer a death on the cross and and really a death that no other man has ever suffered in the history of the world or will ever will ever suffer because christ took upon himself all the sins of all those who would ever believe in him so all every sin that every christian has ever committed throughout human history everybody who which I would I would venture to say is every single sin that's known to man that's been revealed in the Bible we've all committed as a group on some level that same all that sin was placed on Christ and all of that suffering that Christ went through was not for her not because God was punishing him obviously because Christ never did anything wrong but this was ordained this was planned from the beginning and so and Hebrews 2.9, again, reiterates this. Hebrews 2.9, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death, should taste death for every man. So this was the whole point of Jesus being born as a man. For it was for him to die. He was born to die. Um, as a as a Christmas Christmas hymn goes, so he was born to suffer death, and now he's crowned with glory and honor. So it was God's plan to bruise him. It was God's plan to cause him to suffer a, a, a horrific death, a death that he did not deserve on any level. He was not. He did not have a a sin nature. He he did not have a, 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 a an evil bone in his body. He was pure and holy from the moment of conception all the way through his death and resurrection. And now his reigning and, and, and sitting at the right hand of God, the father. So there's no. Um, so if the son of God could suffer a death that he did not deserve, how much more so sinners who die in a collapsed building as tragic as it may be. I mean, Jesus warned us this is something that. The rest of us should look at and see as a warning. As I read earlier in Luke 13, 5, Jesus says, uh, Luke 13, uh, verse 3, he says, I tell you, nay, except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And then he continued in verse 4, where he says, Or those 18 upon, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, 
ye shall all likewise perish. So anytime we see a collapse like this, like this condominium in Surfside in Florida, as tragic as it is, it should remind us that death can come at any moment for us. Death can come at any moment for you. Death could come at any moment for me. And Jesus is saying, even to you and to me now, to repent or else we will likewise perish. Now, that does not mean we'll die in exactly the same way. However, it, it means that sudden death could be around, right around the corner. We have no idea. Our lives are not our own. We are, our lives are at the mercy of God. He can take us out whenever he wishes to do so because he's sovereign, he's Lord, and he's king. God, God doesn't owe us anything. The only thing we have earned for ourselves is death, as the Bible says. But the other half of Romans 6.23 is the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So if you are not in Christ, if you have not turned from your sins, if you have not trusted in him as your Savior and received the gift of God, the gift of eternal salvation, the gift of forgiveness of sins, of cleansing from your sin, of the gift of regeneration and sanctification and justification before God, you should see this tower, this building collapse in Florida as a warning for your life that you will likewise perish, that you will suddenly die and have to give an account of your sin and you will have no advocate for you the only, because the only advocate that exists is Jesus. And you have to come through him. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he beckons you today. He commands you even to repent and to trust in him. Or else you will perish as well. well. Thank you for listening today. And I will see you on the next episode of Do Loss.